Okay, so Nikki, you finally get what you've asked for all this time. Yes. A podcast about sports. Incorrect. <laughs> we get to do social media finally. Yes. So who are we talking to? Nikki Sundstrom from U of M. Yes. So Nikki Sundstrom is the director of social media for the U of M. Um, someone we've watched for a while and we get to talk to today on the podcast. We also talk a little bit about embargoes and broccoli. It's Exciting. a good time. You're listening to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Are we recording a new intro this season? Why? I'm just wondering. Are you saying that you've had enough of Sarah Humbry? No, 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 no. I, mean, I, I love Sarah. I would like to be a part of the intro. I think that right. would be nice. Well, why don't we work that little line in? That was good. Yeah. I'll, I'll find a spot for it. Welcome to Cold Oatmeal, a podcast by the Rush Strategies team about PR and public affairs. Really? I was distracted staring at Joe's Cold Oatmeal. Yeah, well, it's here. He's got it on his It's, on his it's always here. Here. And by the way, the, the, the ratio of like, fruit to disgusting, like 1 to 10, it's got some disgusting stuff in some fruit. There's nothing disgusting. One part fruit. What's, what, what in there is disgusting? I don't even know what's in it, but it, it looks like cucumber mash and maybe a couple of chopped apple. Did you have Burger King for breakfast? What was your... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, you are listening to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. This is uh, Matt Resch of Resch Strategies. Uh, we're a public affairs and a public relations firm based in Lansing, Michigan. Uh, you can always find us at reschstrategies.com. We're also on Twitter, on Facebook, and Instagram at Resch Strategies. We also have a little uh, Twitter feed for this podcast. It's at Cold Oatmeal Pod, so you can follow us there. We're going to look at some Twitter polls here in a second. Nikki's going to pull those up, but if you ever want to vote in our polls, you can go there. So, Part of, part of, I guess, a downside of becoming such a hugely popular podcast with the following that we have built over the over the year and a half now is that the global right. following. Yeah, we're reaching many, many. We got some hate mail. Uh oh. It wasn't your dad, was it? It wasn't. No, dad's oh dad's God. dad's emails were always very nice. But I'm going to read it up because I'm going to I'm going to change things up on the order that we usually do things, and it's all based on this feedback. Okay. Um, Mary, I don't know who Mary is, but Mary wrote in <laughs> recently after an episode. Um, after we had Zoe Clark on, um, Zoe Clark, so Mary writes, Zoe Clark is a good guest, but it was seven minutes into the podcast when I gave up and closed it because your team was chit-chatting without getting to the point of the podcast, which is your guest, not small talk. We are busy out here and need to focus. Dang. Uh-oh. So I'm gonna <laughs> Sorry, take, Mary. I'm going to take Mary's advice and get right to it. We're going to go straight to introduce our guest so that she can be a part of our chit-chat. For We've already moment. wasted 60 seconds. Yes, we're going to go like straight it. into it. Sorry, Hope it wasn't Mary. too long. All right, so even before we introduce ourselves, I'm going to go... I'm, Mary, I'm listening. We're going to go straight to our guest. Nikki Sundstrom is our guest today. We are actually in Ann Arbor, um, in Zoe Clark's building, of all places. I didn't even plan that out before we, we had that happen, but... We are in Ann Arbor. Um, Nikki Sundstrom is the director of social media and public engagement for the University of Michigan, a position that she has been in for just over five years. Is Absolutely, that right? yes. Uh, before coming to the U of M, uh, Nikki led social media efforts uh, for the state of Michigan and also uh, for social media efforts for the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. And I think that we should probably let our listeners know, since we are in Ann Arbor, in Ann Arbor the sun did come up this morning, the day after the tragic news. It was we a dark here. day. It was a dark yes. day. I want to get into that. But yes, the day after John Beeline announced he was leaving, we are here and the sun is shining. Very uh, brightly, I would say. Yeah. It's a beautiful day. It is a beautiful day, finally. So let's go around the room. Everyone introduce themselves. Starting Laura, with you. Laura Beal. Stephanie Vancouvering. Nikki O'Mara. 
Joe Beshi. And Nick DeLue. So, Nick, you want to get to the polls? Last time we had yes. we had blast last time. We had Matt Ottinger, who hosted Quizbusters on WKR for 29 years. I was in Quizbusters. You were Quizbusters? Absolutely. Were you on the show? Yeah. I didn't did make the... it on PBS. I was very sad. Very cool. We got to sort of experience that for ourselves last oh, week, yes. and I didn't want to do it at all, and it ended up being really fun. So. And buzzers and all. And I did not fake sick. I was Laura legitimately sick and very upset. Matt, I don't, I don't remember. Who won last Shut time? up. Oh, stop. <laughs> we'll have to go back. Joe, do you remember? Oh, we'll have to check the archives. I have I'm a poll sure. about Joe. <laughs> so the first question was, was Joe Beshi the cool kid in high school who thought it was too dorky to do quiz busters, but who lived out a lifelong dream on this most recent episode? And 55% said Joe wasn't a cool kid. Ouch. Sorry, Joe. Ouch, well, Joe. To, what were the three options, though? There oh, were sorry. three options. Yes, no. Joe wasn't a cool kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. I have cool kid energy. You all feel it. You all know Cool kid that. energy. <laughs> okay. The next question was, better game show host, Alex Trebek versus Pat Sajak. Am I saying that right? Oh, my mm-hmm. goodness. Wow. Sorry. You don't wow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Shut up. I said it correctly. Okay. So 80% said Alex Trebek was better. And then the third question was, do you know what the Green Mountain Boys are? Nikki Sundstrom, do you know what the Green Mountain Boys are? I do not. Okay. Well, 90% of our <laughs> voters also did not know. <laughs> Excellent. So, Although, you know, we were listening to the episode at home, and um, the boys were sitting and eating dinner, and we got to the question about the Green Mountain Boys, and Owen, who's my 12-year-old, yelled out the answer before impressive. anybody else. That's your wife's no influence. Yes. Yeah. Well, she didn't know. What Who are the Green Mountain I Boys? I, I, I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, it was an army. It was a regiment. It was a Revolutionary War army. outfit. Yeah. yeah. Did okay. you say Green Boys? You just missed the mountain part. He I did. missed the mountain part. I was just throwing yeah. green something out there. I don't know. <laughs> I thought your Green Beret guess was a good one. Did you? I was after the fact. I'm like, oh, that was obviously wrong, but I tried. Anyway, well, thanks for being with us. No thanks problem. for having us down here, Dan Arbor. I did. I want to ask you, what is the day? What is the day like when you show up for work and news breaks that John Beeline is leaving <laughs> University of Michigan? So yesterday actually played out quite interestingly. Um, notifications started to get distributed to phones. Um, and because of John Beeline's legendary history here at Michigan, I don't think it was even on anybody's radar that he could potentially be exiting. And so one of my staff members was like, oh, got the notification, took a look at his phone, was like, renewed contract. And then my phone rang, and it was my husband, who is a diehard Spartan. And he said to me, hey, saw the news about your coach. And I said, what are you talking about? I said, something about a contract renewal. Terry just told me. And he goes, click the link. I was like, oh, no. Um, To which we all clicked the link together. And then we're very, very scared for how the rest of the day would go and started outreach across campus in this circumstance. I mean, despite our best efforts to always proactively break our own news, this one took us all by surprise. And then it just became kind of a celebration of his time here. And very, very soon it will be a evaluation of who might be the next John Beanline. You know, Joe and I did the exact same thing. We both looked at our phones and did the same thing. That your yeah, I woke did. up and I saw the alert. I'm like, John Beeline, five years. I don't need to click on that. Yeah. Like, cool extension, neat. Great mission will be good for a while. It's really something to say about what you lead with in those first few mm-hmm. characters, right? 
Exactly. So did you just monitor things as far as like ways that you had to interact or were there things that you guys then actively went out and did and, and to like highlight his, his background, his history, his accomplishments? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I came to the University of Michigan five years ago, I set up a structure that was very similar uh, to the one that I leveraged for the state of Michigan, which then was the PIO, the Public Information Officer Network. As social was new, it was a piece of each one of their jobs. Here at the University of Michigan, another very large decentralized bureaucracy, uh, just like government, I cannot be a content expert in everything. And so I set out to find the strategic communicators across campus that are passionate about social in the same way that I am. And I leverage that network to make a direct kind of inroad to what might be happening in that space. And so the first person that I got in touch with was public affairs and then my uh, social leadership representative at athletics. And we started just talking about what we needed to do, what the game plan, no pun intended, was for the rest of the day. And once we were able to confirm the news, uh, we started thinking about how we could create celebratory content that we would all share, who was going to lead the message, which is always really important here because we don't want to get out ahead of each other. Um, and then what might be the timeline for anything else moving forward. So does athletics lead something like that? Yesterday? In this circumstance, yes. We did allow athletics to lead. Um, in the same circumstance, we also talked with Coach about whether or not he would be making a statement on his personal Twitter account, which he opted to do. Um, and then we needed to make the determination about which content from the central university accounts under the brand we would then promote further. So is this basically a drop everything and focus on this one issue for a little while? Or... Everything goes as usual, and then you also are dealing with this. Absolutely the latter. Yeah. Everything still continues to go as usual. Um, essentially, the only times where we drop everything, at least in the five years that I've been here, um, was when we recently had an active shooter scare mm -hmm. on campus. Mm -hmm. Everything stopped. Um, and then before that, we had a hacking of our athletics accounts um, nearly four years ago now. And that, of course, I also refer to as the morning my dad called and asked if I was getting fired. Um, and the first time and probably only time my name will be in ESPN. But yeah, that, those were real game changers for right. us in which it was all hands on deck. What do we do now? Um, but the rest of my team and the rest of social leadership across campus, you know, they they look to us, to public affairs and to my office to say, what should we do? Should we stop content altogether? Should we go about business as normal um, to kind of remain and retain some normalcy across the other properties? And we make that determination kind of in the moment. OK. Keeping on the sports theme. Because I know Stephanie will like that. Did you happen to see? <laughs> did you see the article yet the other day about the the college freshman who bought who got the Padres? The Padres Twitters? and the Madres on Sunday. That yeah, was that was a big deal. He was from Calvin College, West yeah. Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. So if you didn't see it, the from Mother's Day, the San Diego Padres changed their game. I didn't even. Well, I, don't I don't know, know who why they would that. do this. They would. They <laughs> or gave thought up it was a good at, idea. Gave up at Padres for a day and made it at Madres. What Very naive. Yeah, and then so this kid sees it and grabs it and be, and gets all the followers that comes with at Padres. And he had a little bit something to say. Well, he I think he gave it. He ended up giving it back. He he did right. My I was sharing it with my staff yesterday, and they were like, "Did he make any money off it?" Um, because we do know a lot of brands at this point like buy user handles and names. Um, 
my first reaction when I saw that was like, oh, cute, stupid, but cute. (laughs) Um, Because absolutely, right? And this was very much how I I referenced the time that we were hacked. Um, And my number one goal through that was transparency, uh, to make sure that people understood that it was not malicious and that it was a qualified professional that fell for very, very um, advanced phishing attack that even Facebook was like, oh, we've never seen this one before. So, you know, in those circumstances with the the Padres, like they probably thought it was a really cool idea. Um, But students are sometimes a lot faster than us and very savvy and realize that it could be picked up very, very quickly. Um, When President Schlissel joined Michigan five years ago, his reign or time here was announced my third week on the job. We automatically reserved 20 different uh, derivatives of his name um, on Twitter just to try to prevent any sort of parody. And there was still one that popped up. Just one? Only one. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And they made the mistake of using the block M. So we got it taken down. Oh, hey. (laughs) (laughs) All the ways. That worked out. (laughs) Exactly. So how many accounts are you you and your team monitor? I saw somewhere... a, th- a, thousand? a thousand, but I don't know if that's in the so. The University number. of Michigan currently has twelve hundred and sixty-seven social properties um, that officially carry the block M and represent our brand. Okay. We are also in the process of doing a twenty-five percent account consolidation over the course of the last year. So that's part of the strategic comms initiative, brand risk mitigation um, that my office is sort of championing. My unit, UM Social, is responsible for the daily content and the organizational structure of anything that represent the brand as a whole. So anything University of Michigan, anything University of Michigan parents or University of Michigan students. So you have your brand guidelines and standards and it comes top down from you to all these other entities and they must follow suit. Correct. What happens if something happens? Must is a strong word. They're suggested to follow suit. Absolutely. (laughs) What happens if they go too off course? They get a phone call from me. Okay. (laughs) Um, So that was one of the really interesting things about transitioning from the state of Michigan, from government to higher education. Policy is a dirty word in Mm -hmm. this environment. And it's very hard to mandate that anybody really do anything. Um, You have to lead by example, justification, and, and research and strategy, which should be true across any organization, but you also don't get the additional leverage of saying, this is the policy we call it best practice guidelines or or something a little softer (laughs) which is perfectly acceptable Um, and that's why social leadership is so critical to the work that I do here I meet with that group of 50 um, one individual from every major school college and institutional unit and they are the ambassadors of what my office puts forth they are the champions of our strategy Um, they're also our closest collaborators so on the big accounts our largest schools and college our Michigan medicine Um, institution and hospital network, athletics, public safety and security, they're in my office every other week. Um, With public safety and security in particular, I now have a sitting staff member that has a dotted line that's in my office every week um, because those are the most important messages that we want to make sure are out in a very timely fashion to our communities. And so I need to be in lockstep with them at any point in time. Um, I always say my closest partner here is public affairs, and that's just kind of because my brain works that way. And we're continuously monitoring things in association with the brand as well as creating fun ways to say it online. How are you determining the ways that you're going to share the different pieces of content out? I mean, there's so many ways you can do images and videos and live video. And how are you making those types of decisions? 
it's a multitude of factors. Who are we trying to reach? Obviously, then we can pick platform. And that's a conversation that we have whenever somebody's interested in social in general. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they really want a, a Pinterest account. Okay, well, who are you trying to reach? Luckily, we've been able to get rid of quite a few of those. Um, but, you know, we really need Instagram, but we don't have any visual imagery or the capability at this point to update daily stories. Um, some of it has to do as well with the type of messaging that we're delivering. Mm -hmm. And that's where having a multitude of accounts sometimes does come in handy. Um, sometimes it makes more sense for public affairs to lead on their Twitter account. And other times it makes a lot more sense for us to work with the president to have him share a message that has a more official tone. And sometimes we just wanna keep the University of, of Michigan brand as a whole kind of reserved from something that might happen and we select a more traditional method of communications. Can you ever imagine one of, the, one of your 50 folks that, that work with you taking the Wendy's approach? Yeah, I was thinking yesterday as I'm watching the... You're hitting on a pet peeve of mine. Okay, so, all right. so, so probably um, under no circumstances. But certainly there are a lot of Big Ten schools and a lot of fans who were happy to see yesterday's news. And I, I could imagine that there's a social media manager somewhere on campus who would like to have a, a Wendy's-like Twitter conversation with some of those Why fans. Why don't you share for people what the Wendy's approach is? It's it's uh, very confrontational, snarky. Um, it's, I call uh, it snarky social. Okay. Yes, or savage social. Um so the Wendy's approach is a really interesting one. It does not, and even Wendy's as an extreme, which I think it is, um, would not be the proper tone for our institution. Um, we've had peer institutions in the Big Ten who take a, a more friendly approach, a more trendy approach. I wouldn't even call them full on Wendy's necessarily. Um, getting gift wars or respond and interact with people in a way that's more humorous. Um, invite us into threads that we simply have chosen not to participate in and that's because it's not on brand for us. So on, being on brand for us is not always necessarily about maize and blue. Um, a lot of times it has to do with the perception of the institution or the tone that we take and whether or not that's consistent with the leaders and best mentality, the academic prestige that's that's here or our longstanding history of, of excellence in academics um, and research. So we probably wouldn't have an institutional account take that approach, but some of them get to have more fun than the brand accounts overall. We have a Michigan Dining Twitter account that gets to talk about chicken nuggets and fun cookie stuff all of the time, and that's fantastic. They do that. We we don't. We we pick and choose those avenues again. So, so that's a that's a great answer. You mentioned though that I was sitting on a pet peeve. Why is it? <laughs> uh, so here's the thing with social: if you're not adding value, you shouldn't be doing it. And at what point marketing strategy became roasting your consumers who you're trying to court into either exchanging or having loyalty with your brand or potentially purchasing a commodity or a service. I, I think it's just a really backwards approach. How do you deal with haters and trolls? Oh, um, we ignore them. No. <laughs> <laughs> We, um, I did this lovely presentation for Homeland Security in which I talked to them about not feeding the trolls and then had to walk through slides that said trolls were not the under the bridge or the 80s crazy hair people, but rather mm -hmm. the people that are continuously on your online accounts. Um, we get a lot of them. We get a lot that just say, go Buckeyes, right? I wouldn't classify them as a full-blown troll, but you know, regardless of what we say on our account that could be very, very positive related to medical research, 
they're still there and kind of like weighing in because they have that, you know, rivalry mentality. We have a community guidelines policy. It's actually something I brought with me from the state of Michigan that I'd worked with the attorney general's office on and we adapted it for Michigan. And it talks about the types of content that we evaluate and vet and, you know, spamming or solicitation, what will get you maybe hidden from the timeline. Um, We try not to block people. You know, we always want to be really aware of people's perception of what free speech is or what might infringe upon their free speech in these properties that we don't own, which I think is always really important to remind people. We might have a Facebook page, but we are not Facebook. So we have a lot of guidelines to go back to that yet again. Um, And we evaluate whether or not we can create an ambassadorship. If you can't see in the foreseeable future turning someone on your accounts into an advocate or correcting false information and seeing a change in their behavior, we don't engage. Um, And when it is something that is an absolute like falsehood that we need to address, we try to pull them into traditional methods of communication as quickly as possible because those are still valuable. That phone call or that email or that in-person meeting, we don't want to air dirty laundry or allow anything to be taken out of context online. Did you see it getting this negative when you start? I mean, you've been doing this job for a long, working on social media. 10 years in social, yes. Um, You know, the... Last presidential election was a pretty good indicator, Um, but it's been negative in general or at least teetering on the edge of unfiltered for quite some time. Um, I lived through the sit-ins on the Capitol lawn um, where the word vagina was being tweeted at the governor over and over and over again in the last administration um, and just kind of watched it come in. I mean, lots of colorful things. Um, I had just left state government when the Flint water crisis really became very, very public. And, and, (laughs) you know, so I've always been very aware of the things that people were saying online. One of the ways in which I addressed that when I got to Michigan was something that I sort of stumbled into, but having been born and raised on the west side of the state and not attending Michigan or Michigan State, I didn't have a real affinity for either of the loyalties from the rivalry. Um, And I didn't understand why when we lost a sporting event, the first thing that people would say online was that our players should go kill themselves or drink bleach or walk out in front of traffic. Um, That was, to me, a child um, that's in a capacity while you sit on a couch Mm -hmm. somewhere and they're here studying and also playing a a sport that they love and they should not be subjected to any of that sort of negativity online. Um, And so we started a series uh, called You Miss Chat. It used to be a once monthly live Twitter dialogue. It's since evolved into both podcasts and then also Facebook Lives in which we get together a diverse panel of internal and external, uh, external experts could be faculty, could be students, could be leadership here on campus. And we have a really poignant and timely dialogue on a really important issue. The first one that we had was related to trolling online. Um, We put the women's basketball coach here at Michigan and a very prominent male basketball player online. And the only thing or the most popular thing that anybody said to him was, will you marry me? 
right? Because it's harder <laughs> to say things to their face, mm-hmm. um, which is why we have an entire campaign now with the website that we launched last year, socialintegrity.umich.edu, that talks about digital citizenship and online positivity. Um, a very large poster in my office that has a very scary man sort of yelling into the camera that says, would you say it? to their face. Um, and I, I truly think that is what everyone needs to think before they share things online. Can I change the subject a little bit? Of course. You have six kids. I do indeed. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm the oldest of 10, so Excellent. big family Fantastic. Right? Um, and I'm the father of two, right. and I can't get one of them to eat broccoli. And um, I can't, you know, get I wonder pat- why. Yeah. <laughs> I love broccoli. My kids love broccoli. This is a dramatic topic shift. It is. It is dramatic. Where are we going? You know, and <laughs> I, can't get, I can't get them to brush their teeth at night without screaming at me. Help! How have you managed these things? I, you've you've walked mm, this this secrets? road yeah. more times than I have. You know, you know what can you do? How can you, how can you save me? So broccoli. Let's yeah. start there because sure. why not? Um, we only have that as like an option, right? It's all about what you keep in your house, um, and just to bring it back, right? It's about what you keep in your social content that is important. So they don't have any other options. Um, They see what matters and they experience what matters. Brushing the teeth, that one's still hard. I think I pinned a two-year-old down just this morning. So there's not a lot there. (laughs) But it is important. I'm not alone. It is. not alone. Mm -hmm. So, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to piggyback off of that. Um, Very busy personal life, very busy work life. Mm -hmm. How do you manage to stay organized with it all? What are some organizational tips? Right. So um, we were talking before the show started. Um, I'm traveling to Australia Mm -hmm. on Saturday. Um, This will be my second trip there. I'm opening their higher education summit on Tuesday. I made my mother a color-coordinated schedule in an Excel spreadsheet <laughs> Nice um, so for my six children for yeah. next week. Um, and then, of course, she called me on the phone and said, Nikki, this is why people don't like you. Um, <laughs> but or, I've always been a very sort of like organized person, and those are things that I have to continuously try to instill in everybody around me. We live and die by the I calendar, right? Everybody's synced in. Um, my husband was so delighted when I bought him an Apple Watch for Christmas a year ago, but it really it was for me because I wanted him to know and stop calling me and ask me what we had going on at night. Yeah. Now it's on his wrist. He just gets reminders pinged to his exactly. wrist. Exactly. No, That's, it's great. That was smart. Um, but also really streamlining <laughs> what's important, right? It's It's easier to organize your life and your priorities if you're not wasting sort of those really pivotal, important moments. Um picking up the phone and looking at a stream that's not necessary at this point or putting processes in place in my office to, you know, have different shifts in who's monitoring content around the clock mm-hmm. so that each of us hopefully somehow get a little bit of a break. Um, my parents, just to go back to them, you know, they're still sad that I don't post as much on Facebook of the kids anymore. But, you know, I see enough of the Internet during mm-hmm. the day. Yeah, I don't bother with it I feel very similarly my job is the social media digital marketing world I do very little of it at home so So it's probably safe to bet that grandma's not going to be serving broccoli next week is that on on the spreadsheet it's in the fridge (laughs) she's got cupcakes Uh available so an interesting thing about kids since Mm -hmm. Nick approached the subject and I wanted to get your take so uh, there was an article I read recently about the kind of rebellion of kids who have grown up in the social media age who have gotten to an age and realized that their childhood has been posted online 
and the anger that they have towards their parents that, wait a minute, you've been saying all these things about me all these years, or you've mm-hmm. been posting all of these pictures. Yeah. What's your, you're not. My, my big, oh, we're going to hit all the pet peeves today. So <laughs> my biggest issue with that was the moniker that they gave it, which was sharenting, which I think is something yeah. no one should ever use as a word. But um, here's the other thing. It's a lack of communications. So if you're not already at a very young age, literate enough in your own sharing to realize that this was something that was going to happen or don't have an open enough dialogue on a regular basis with your children to educate them on what it is you are sharing or how this could affect them in the long run, then that's a parenting issue, right? So my oldest three girls are now 13, 15, and 16. They've had social for some time. When we moved to uh, just outside Ann Arbor five years ago for me to take this job, that was when Snapchat was really sort of like budding. And their friends were like, you guys got to get a Snapchat because you're leaving. And I said, you guys aren't all getting your own Snapchat, but I will make a Team Sundstrom, which has been our hashtag moniker for years now. Um, You can have a shared account and you can guess and check each other right? There's, there's accountability for your actions online. And it's when parents or children don't understand that, that we run into these issues. Um, a lot of the articles that were being written and then the Twitter sort of battles between mothers that were starting um, afterwards had a lot to do with, I think, parents taking advantage of what they could share in order to get likes or to be liked without any sort of like understanding of the ramifications that they were having or having. Um, Just yesterday, I actually saw an article on Facebook where people were advocating that um, females stop shaming their significant others and, and partners online, right? Talking about things that shouldn't necessarily happen outside the home online for the wrong reasons. I, I think it's just bad practice. Speaking of bad practices. Yeah. As you look around at organizations, mm-hmm. big or small, whether it's other universities, small businesses, state government, what do you see people doing wrong? Like, what, What's the biggest mistake you see people doing when it comes to their social media approach? Moving outside their swim lane. If it does not have a, a direct sort of correlation back to your brand or what you offer, um, what your um, morals, values, mission, and vision is for your organization, stay out of it. Don't chase trends. Um, you know, right now, if I have one more person that asks me what we're going to do about TikTok, I think I might lose it. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we keep living through these revolutions and these individuals that are trying to get a new platform on board or they don't understand the idiosyncrasies of the networks. It's when you're not being responsible or strategic that I think you get into a, a lot of trouble. How do you stay up to date on the ever-changing social media landscape. Six well, children and some interns. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and let me ask you to, to spin off on that. How do you keep up and kind of, you have you have a, a, a wide range of ages in your audience. You have your student population, mm-hmm. but then you have alumni and you have mm-hmm. faculty, um, all who are, you know, di- you know, they consume your content, but they come from all completely different generations. Very, very true. So um, it was one thing that I struggled with when I came here because I couldn't just call everybody a constituent anymore. We had <laughs> students, staff, faculty, alumni, young alumni, which are totally different, fans, which have a totally different affiliation. Um, and so we're continuously thinking about how we speak to each of those audiences individually. 
as well as what will resonate um, with Joe in Bay City, who's an MSU fan, hates maize and blue, but needs a heart transplant that's only available at Michigan Medicine, and then sort of falls into needing the university. Um, one of the most beautiful stories I think we've been able to tell was about a, a young um, child who needed a life-saving operation, was a lifelong Buckeye, came from a family of Buckeyes, and um, asked the doctor before she went into the operating room, will you please not make my heart love Michigan? Okay, <laughs> we, right? But it's, it's navigating that really diverse world, uh, both in race, religion, ethnicity, I mean, where wherever you are, even if you're in Michigan or Ohio, um, that keeps me on my toes and makes my job really fun. Um, in the same token, helping people to understand coming out of politics, the perception and reality of Ann Arbor and what we do here. And they people have a lot of opinions about what we're doing in Ann Arbor or which side of the aisle we skew on and getting people to understand that, you know, their tax paying dollars go towards this university and we offer a wide array of things um, is fun for me because we get to kind of pull back the curtain um, and reveal the wonderful things that have been happening here for over 200 years. How do you learn all of this? Like I had <laughs> one class when I was at MSU on social media and it was how to get my LinkedIn profile all updated. And, <laughs> was you know it the I mean? driver's license? Yes, the yes. Media it was the driver's license. license. Yes. So I just wonder, like there's so many new things every day. Right. How do you keep up and where do you even start? I read more news than the average person. It's always very funny. I'll be looking at my feed and my husband will ask me, what are you looking at? And I was like, oh, I'm reading this article on such and such and such. And he's like, I just look at trucks. Um, <laughs> and I was like, that's why we balance ourselves out, honey. Um, so I'm an avid reader in a lot of things, but I, I can say too, usually, historically, the best and most savvy people I've met that work in, in social communications come out of politics and I think it has a lot to do with the way in which we approach messaging to consumers or constituents um, it has a lot to do with awareness on issues I mean we see a lot of traditional marketing um, agencies or even brands make some really horrid mistakes in their visual imagery eliminating diversity or Nike just had another sort of hiccup again yesterday um, related to females in the workplace and their pregnancy policy and how that's playing out in social. Um, awareness is really important to me. And I take my job, um, I went to grad school for education. I take my job as being an educator and leveraging these networks to help people understand things very, very seriously. Um, so being, you know, just continuously connected in a way that's responsible and then also thinking strategically about communications is kind of how I try to keep it all together. Do you think there'll be like a degree in social media soon? So we actually have some programming within our School of Information here. Um, and we also just launched last year, um, Our the executive director was actually our current sitting Lieutenant Governor, Garland Gilchrist. Um, the Center for Social Media Responsibility mm -hmm. is here at the University of Michigan. Our faculty members um, that we worked with for the Social Integrity website launch in our um, online positivity, digital citizenship messaging, do a lot of the Pew data research, and they also are working with the platform specifically to understand things. I don't know that a degree is necessarily um, needed. I think a better understanding of the evolution of communications is. 
So, you know, I used to give this presentation years ago where I would show Martin Luther nailing the, the 95 thesis to the wall and say this was the OG tweet. <laughs> right? It was the first thing. I, I listened to this BBC documentary, just to go back to me listening to news, in which they said this went viral because of the Gutenberg printing press. It went throughout Europe in two months, and that was unprecedented because the only other thing that ever been printed was the Bible. Um, and that was 140 characters, and then it became 280, and then it became an Instagram story or a Snapchat filter. Um, it'll be something else, and we just need to keep looking and, and being adaptive. So maybe I'll wrap up with this question. When, I think when you started, I read that you said something about a, a risk that you had taken was taking a job that you didn't know would even be in existence five years now. Absolutely. Well, it's five years from that point. Looking ahead, what do you think your job is going to be like five years from now? I know. I need a new line. TikTok. <laughs> Matt, you, you stole my question, Matt, but I was going to say 10 years. So Exactly. Well, and it's absolutely true. Um, I... In some of my very first interviews, when I first launched Social Media Day in the state of Michigan, um, under the last administration, my quote for Mashable was, you know, I have this job that didn't exist five years ago. It might not exist five years from now. And now I've been at Michigan for five years, um, which went by too terribly fast. The only thing I think that keeps us moving forward is that we don't approach social as something shiny. It is a truncated version of current communications, and I think that's where we continue to thrive. So last year, um, in addition to looking more at the responsibility, the longevity, and the, the lasting digital footprint element that we know is so important, my office also took on the President's Public Engagement and Impact Initiative. So looking at how faculty can talk about their research in a way that makes sense to lots of people and isn't necessarily a traditional journal publication. Um, continuing to evaluate how to have really important dialogues with individuals online and leave a legacy that adds value is is where I probably will be five years from now, if not in an elected office somewhere. You know. <laughs> well, we'll see. Nikki Sundstrom, the Director of uh, Social Media and Public Engagement, thank you for having us. It's been great to be here. This is really fun. Thanks Very for coming to Ann Arbor. And we'll be right back. up over there <laughs> can we get serious please can we get serious no okay do we have a serious I, we do since we're since we're geeking out in this episode and actually talking about pr and public affairs right. i think for the first time unique yes in 36 episodes <laughs> um just having talked with nikki sundstrom and getting all learned on the art of social media i wanted to ask and get some of your opinions i think the word embargo Embargoed has been in the news of late. I saw that. We are we are allegedly prof PR professionals. Yeah. Stephanie, how did you how would you define the embargo and your idea of the rules? Are you aware? Should we go into the history of what the story here behind this embargo? Do you know what we're talking about? Yes, I do. Okay. Um, so. In my opinion, and I have sent an embargoed release or two in my time. 
um, you send it out and it has a timestamp on it and a date and it says that it is not to be released until this time. Um, I do think you take a risk when you do that um, because, I mean, if you can't send it out when it's supposed to be sent, if you've got some kind of an event or something, that just seems a little silly to me. But. So for everyone's background who may not know, so over the weekend, um, a congressman from here in Michigan, Justin Amash, decided to send out some tweets um, saying that it might be time to look at impeachment hearings for uh, the president. And shortly thereafter, a state rep from the West Side basically announced his intentions to run in a primary against Congressman Amash. Then come to Sunday night, the campaign for this state rep, um, around 8.30 or so, sent out a huge press release announcing that on Monday he would be announcing his his run. And at the top of it, um, it said embargoed until 6 a.m. Monday morning. Well, one of the reporters uh, in the Capitol Reporters uh, took a picture, screenshot of the release and tweeted it out on Sunday night and incurred the wrath of the campaign for that breaking is, the embargo. I think it is ridiculous in today's digital age to embargo anything because you have email programs that can send out at a specific time. You can post stuff on social media to release at a specific time. So if you're embargoing something, it's because you want attention. Well, well the, the goal seemed to be they wanted a, a Monday morning splash, right? They wanted. They got it. Right. <laughs> they got it a little bit early. <laughs> um, but they wanted that Monday morning splash. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, if you're going to send stuff out... Uh, and it simply says embargo on it. I, I'm not sure what they were thinking. I, so I, I've used embargoes many times with reporters on topics, but I've always had a conversation with the reporter first, and and we've we've had a discussion. Mm-hmm. I've got a piece of information. I'd be willing to share that information with you. Is that information something you might find valuable, or or something your readers might be interested in? Um, if I were to provide provide it to you um, with an embargo, would you honor that embargo? Oh, yes, you would. Okay, let me share that information with you. It's uh, part of a leak strategy. It's not part. Yeah. I, it sounds like what happened is they just sent it to everybody. But usually you do it to make a, re- a reporter to cultivate a relationship. Absolutely. Well, it, it led to a really interesting conversation because and I think a lot of reporters and PR folks started to ask the question, well, what are the rules of this game? that that we play are is there are these the the kind of f- funky unwritten rules of you know they always talk about the unwritten rules of baseball are these the the rules that people just kind of live by or are these actual practices and i think overwhelmingly they said that no the embargo is a a relationship a conversation a deal between someone who's pitching news and someone who's reporting news although i, I didn't read it but I, someone told me that you know megan holland was a guest of ours on the podcast and i think um I couldn't find uh, where she said it, but someone said to me that she had said kind of the opposite, that when she ran a newsroom, they often got embargoed right, news. Right, I saw that too. And that, and that they that. did not, that they honored the embargoes, which I thought, and of course, it was it was a while back. It's not in the digital age that we're, we're working in now. But. but at the same time, I mean, from the screenshot I saw, it looked like the word embargo was half the size of the font in the press release. <laughs> so it seemed pretty easy to miss to me. So I've never sent a release blasted out that's on embargo. I've only ever worked with reporters one-on-one before I would be sending something because usually I'd work with one or two to get, you know, a pre-interview or something set up before the story would ever 
go and then you blast your release to everybody else. Well, and so then what happened was after after this reporter tweeted out the picture, the campaign freaked out and was furious and tweeted at the reporter a, a very nasty shame on you. Shame on you, reporter. Waggle, waggle your finger. How dare you do this? Don't you know how embargoes work? And it led to this huge brouhaha where then the Capitol Press Corps and a lot of PR folks then came to the defense of the reporter. Mm -hmm. And this guy who wants to run for Congress got a first day of, of news coverage that was all about how his campaign doesn't know what the word embargo means. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, they, it's they got funny to watch unfold. Yeah, <laughs> They got some coverage. I, I've never found it particularly productive to insult a member of the media on Twitter. Right. But, you know, that's that's me. I, not, not an approach I'd take. Yeah. Probably not one I would recommend for our clients. Okay. I also thought it was a little bit telling that, um, I mean, I'm not a campaign expert or anything, but all the news coverage that I saw about this particular election were of the incumbent the, the pictures were of the incumbent on the articles, not of the person challenging them. Right. So I thought that was a little telling as well. Well, we certainly don't need to get into the Twitter habits of the president, but I also saw it commented on that, you know, Justin Amash, who is the congressman we're talking about, has a, a very healthy social media following and has built quite a reputation um, for being active on social media, but still had about a quarter of a million followers. And one tweet from the president calling him a loser introduced his name to 50 million more people who uh, you guys you got to figure half the people who follow the president hate him and half the <laughs> half the people who follow him like him and Justin Amash may have gotten 25 million sympathetic eyes on his name he's uh he's popular with a certain section of voters right now so this is why we have fun people on because it's boring when we sit around and we talk about PR stuff <laughs> <laughs> So did you take away? You were all the Nikki. The Nikki Summit is over. Yeah, we had the, the Nikki Summit. We've been talking about this a long time. Mm -hmm. Was it fun? Did you have a good time? I, Social I, media person. Yes, I could have kept going for a very long time with her, but you know, we only had so much time. She's very busy, um, but it was great talking to her and kind of reaffirming the things that I know about social media and feeling like we're doing things correctly and. It's always good to hear. Well, and exciting. She is. As I think she mentioned she's keynoting a international social media conference yeah. in Australia at this very moment. So when this podcast goes live, you know, we're going to get hate mail from way more people than Mary. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to come flooding in from other overseas. side of the world overseas. Is there any truth to the rumor that on stage during her presentation, she'll be sipping water out of her cold oatmeal mug? That'd be awesome. That'd be so cool. We'll see. By the way, what was the question about broccoli? Yeah. Yeah, Nick. Well, she... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nick. She, she is, uh, on top of being an accomplished social media you know, mastermind um, and professional woman, she's an accomplished mother. She's got six kids. She's walked this road many more times than I have. And so I am, I am always willing to learn at the feet of the masters. <laughs> and if someone can help me get Carter to put down something green, um, I will ask the question. I have tried. We'll put it I'm down. That's care. the problem. I do care. I, <laughs> I, I've, I've approached Carter um, since we've, since we recorded that portion, and uh, her approach didn't work. But I, I'll try it again. <laughs> what green things do you eat? 
just whatever. <laughs> oh, snap. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I, I know. Uh, broccoli. As Cooper would say, shots fired. Peas. <laughs> Brussels sprouts. Yeah, Do you? What green things don't I? I don't okay. eat spinach. All right. I, I thought I you were I thought you were much more selective. Spinach than that. is one of the few that I do eat. Yeah, you were, you were way worse. Yeah, Thank you, you are worse than Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Laura Laura was gone last Friday because she was getting coffee or not coffee carpet <laughs> carpet installed. <laughs> A little different. Coffee installed and carpet installed. And we're like, where do we should go to lunch? We can go anywhere. We can go. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Where'd you go? On B. On B. Okay. <laughs> you were with us. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't here on Friday. This was like no, two no, weeks ago. Last Friday. Okay. Last, yeah, last Friday. Friday. So did we have the, yeah, cause the I was hip here on Friday? Did we have the hypnosis conversation on the podcast no. or not? No, it, it was, was on the, the way there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We All hypnotized right. you to forget the conversation right. that we had. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we were talking on the way to see Nikki about being hypnotized to maybe like certain foods or remember things. And I've decided, I've been thinking about it a lot, and I'm going to be hypnotized to not like candy. That That would be a good one for you. That would be a very good one. Mm -hmm. Are you the reason why two of the three huge bags of M&M's in the office are gone? I am ashamed to admit (laughs) that I am. But they're crazy flavors. Hazelnut I I pick them up and I look at them and I go, ew. Are you serious? Are you really going to do that? No, if I could figure out. <laughs> I feel like you're probably just going to find a hypnotist. Well, I don't know where I to mean, go to get it. What about find one? with Diet Coke? I Ooh. I have wanted to be hypnotized forever, <laughs> which is how this whole conversation. Okay. If you so are listener, listening listeners to this of the podcast, podcast. Yes. go to Twitter at Cold Oatmeal Pod. Tweet us your, hip, your hypnotist recommendations and referrals. Yeah. We will. So, someone in our vast listenership must know or be a hypnotist. I mean, I I'm can sure be Adam hypnotized on the podcast. How I cool would, would, would be that too. be? That would be very I would cool. not, but I would watch you no, guys. No, you would need to not make sure that they don't oh, hypnotize us for right. anything okay. else weird. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this would be a, a major trust game. Yes. Like, do you trust your colleagues to hi- hypnotize you and not mess with you? Right. <laughs> It'll be something weird. Every time Joe snaps his fingers, yeah. I like yeah. scream. <laughs> Okay, well, this has been fun, and it was. Uh, we appreciate Nikki Sundstrom from the University of Michigan taking some time, having us down to Ann Arbor to talk about social media and what she does. And uh, you've been listening to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. We will talk to you next time.